A word from our sponsor, Von Seger Designs is a small Nebraska custom woodworking business making hand-burned customized wood pieces to be a statement in any room. Working with clients every step of the way, from hand-selecting the wood to customizing the design Von Segrin Designs, makes the process as smooth as possible. Specializing in items from themed bar carts and tables to cutting boards and signs so that you can show your team pride all year round. Show your Husker support in a unique and functional way. When you work with Von Segrin Designs, you support small businesses throughout the region. Allow Von Segrin Design to create a custom, fresh, hand-burned piece wood for your home or business. You can link up with them at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-D-N-E-S-I-1 and at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-N underscore designs. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, go Big Red, and uh, let's start the podcast. to throw down toward the goal line going up ball tipped in the air touchdown Jordan Westerkamp Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest oh baby Austin far side back to throw is Martinez now being chased throws it out a flat Burkhead makes a catch sets a tackle 25-20 15-10-5 Rex Burkhead touchdown Nebraska What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us tonight. Zach, Fitz, and Drake here. We are also live on StreamYard as well, so check us out there. Uh, boys, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you, man? I'm I don't just, know what Fitz is doing. Uh, hey, he's making me uncomfortable just sitting there. Yeah. It's, uh... Sorry. We, we, we had a, There's some work in progress going on. It was a little unsightly. I mean, besides my face alone, but the rest of it was unsightly too well there's plenty of things that have been unsightly this weekend so i think i know where you're going hey before we get into it nebraska basketball got a nice win today they did when was it 46 to 19 in the second half is that what i saw yeah they were down three at half uh but <laughs> pine, pine bluff was like eight of 12 from behind the arc to, in the first half so uh they had to come back to the mean for for things to go our way, and they did. And I, things went well. Volleyball got a sweep. So, other than football, it was a decent weekend. You know, things why, are going well at other sports at Nebraska. Why is it that? And I know it happens in other schools, but I don't pay attention to other schools. So we're going to focus on Nebraska. That we uh, play to win the game. These teams. No, you play these teams. And the teams that should be doing so well, they're they're 
their three point percentage is better than it's ever been in the last 20 years, or their quarterback plays Heisman level that day, or the running back breaks career records and, you know, stuff like, why does it just seem that it's, it's always happening? You know, like you said, eight out of 12 in the first half on threes, it's, I mean, their, their aggression has to be there, but come on now. Man, I'm fucking sad. But football's football at this point, it's, it's a curse basketball. uh, When you're playing small schools, like, like Pine Bluff. Um, first off, small schools generally are built around the three, like that. Um, but also, when you're when you're a, that much of a lesser talented team, you come in with a different level of energy, and things go well early, and then eventually, the talent and the depth of the better team wears you out. I'm not saying we sacrifice like somebody from the nineties at the 50 yard line, but I'm, I'm here for it at this point. Let's just sacrifice somebody and see what it does. I can't hurt. Right. I told my buddy today. It's like, if that means we have to to give up, I don't know, a couple national, come up with some sort of a deal, right? Some settlement. We give up a couple national championships. Um, I don't know, maybe drop a Heisman or something off our list, whatever it takes to get us back to a place where we can reverse this curse and go, like go back to someone. I it's, well, it's, it's I, I actually got a question for you guys then because I was thinking about this earlier because someone brought it up because it, it, somebody was going on flight tracker season again and this brought up an interesting point that I, that I that I was able to wrap my head around. I was Urban Meyer's not coming here. I want to make that clear, but I have warmed myself to the point that I'm willing to sell my soul for some wins. I don't give a fuck at this point. I'm willing to take a five year. Let's see what happens. And, and I'm willing to sell my soul. I don't care anymore. I want to win. I want to win more than I like being fucking noble. I don't care. I want to win. I was there last night and then even to more so today where it was like, you know what? And I know I wasn't the only one cause I saw it all over, but let's just, let's just end this facade right now. Name the coach tomorrow let us at least have an idea, move forward. That's all it takes right now. It's just a little, let's move forward and see what, see what happens. Because for we me, got six days, we'll be fine. But okay. So think about that six days though. Okay. That's six days, a few days of practices, but the Remember, big picture, Twitter was supposed to be gone last week. Okay. It's, it's still here six days later. I'm just saying, but think about we'll be fine in six days. Wisconsin was playing for their bowl eligibility right now i think did they get it so there's they have six and are they six and five right now yeah Yeah, nebraska could have done their part to keep them out of bowl eligibility for one more week that's 15 to that's 15 to 18 practice extra practices per year right so let's just say it's it's 90 if the number you're looking for yeah i was gonna say over the last year just think that's 90 to 96 practices that nebraska has not gotten to get better every year, that stuff starts to matter. It's not just the prestige of going to a bowl game. It's not, there's some legitimate development that could happen. And I am probably not alone. Tell me if I'm, if I'm off base here, but I think some of these transfers that have left, yeah, we've gotten our fair share, but some of the transfers that have left that potentially could have developed Casey Rogers is playing ball at Oregon. That's who I wanted to bring up because I watched him making splash plays against Utah yesterday and it hurt even more than normal. Yeah. And so it's between that, you know, not. Wondell was nine for a hundred today, by the way, before he got hurt for the Giants. Wondell was? 
Yeah. Nine <laughs> catches for 100 yards. But he can't play wide receiver, though, I thought. He's a running back. Guess well, not. Our, uh, Guess he is our, wide receiver. Our draft pick, the only thing that I – and I, I'm still – it's – I don't know if it's worth the debate, right? It's not right now, but, I mean, the idea that the potential tight end who moved to center, right? Now he was a draft pick, stuff like that. But there's some – some things when, that you like go back. one out of 50 moves hands yes. out you're not good at your job i i think yeah. i i i did my venting last week or two weeks ago about old frosty so i'm not going to go down another no i know there. but it just but it just goes to the point that you know everything that's been lost especially let's just go these last five years and we're counting this season as five for frost it's 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 frost season I don't care what anybody says. Oh, 100%. Um, Anyone that thought Mickey was in a situation where it's essentially just keep the boat from going completely under. That's mm -hmm. the only job we got to have you do this year. He's done it so far. I mean, it hasn't been great, but he's he's held the, the, the team together, I'll say. Somebody, you're talking about that. It's the same idea. Somebody really, really wise told me a story. Um, not the... Like his smarts outweigh his looks by tenfold, but told me that there was a guy in the back of the Titanic drinking bourbon and whiskey, and he survived. I don't know if anybody remembers that story. Am I? <laughs> I, I, I I do not recall that story. I do uh, not recall that one at I, all. I brought it up to Fitz yesterday in the studio <laughs> when you and Conrad were talking. Okay, it, that would make sense because I had no there, idea what the fuck you were talking it about. Wasn't until, it wasn't until about five seconds into my story there. I'm like, wait, shit, it was Drake that told me yesterday. That, that's right, yeah. So, that's what was really confusing there, boys. There was a guy standing on the See back. See my point, though, about the smarts versus the looks? As I, I, the get, boat I get was you, going down, I get you. The boat was going down, didn't get yes, into a life raft, chugging bourbon and whiskey, and... Um, was fished out of the water by a rescue boat hours later and he didn't freeze to death in the water like most and he attributed it attributes it to the bourbon keeping his blood warm which scientifically doesn't make sense but he was hammer drunk yeah Just living uh, his best life he didn't know he had hypothermia but that's okay yeah um Hypothermia yeah, never hurt anybody. I, I I told I told Fitz that's who I am at this point on on uh, a, as a fan of this this program uh, and just no. You know, yeah, I was I was doing some some wedding planning today with with the fiance and honestly trying to even decide if I wanted to. Do, I'm tired of talking about losing. Um, it's. It's taken the joy out of this a little bit for, for me. And I know it has you guys too. This has just become unbelievably difficult. My taint is sore from getting kicked by Nebraska football for all these years. And not only that, I mean, we there's just nothing so there. Many, this year we've had so many Matt Millens. I'm and gonna, sorry, back, I got a Robert taint on my bingo card. Um. It's just, it's tough to watch. And the okay. sad thing is yesterday, and you guys might disagree with me here, but yesterday Casey Thompson was far and away the best player on the field. And he had little to no help from play calling, even though I thought it was one of Whipple's best games until late in the fourth. And defense was wore out, but it's, 
I tweeted this out and Zach, I know you kind of want to get into this a little bit, but there was two running plays in the second half specifically that I remember there being a decently sized hole that ended up getting blocked by our own offensive lineman who had turned around and ran right into Anthony Grant. You want to talk about helping yourself out? It is not your own offensive lineman filling the holes, gentlemen. And we, at this point, have at least in line play, have become the bad news bears of college football. And Uh we're borderline game one of the replacements. Like, the most team activity that we would see out there is if everybody on the offensive line and the huddle threw up together. That's the only way they're on the same page. It's really hard to argue that at this point. Well, let me let me ask you this then. Staying on that theme, we, you know we're t- we're tired of it. It's it is hard. We want to we're we're in a situation where we we love it obviously, but and we're trying to bring some levity. We're trying to bring some humor, hopefully, right? An opportunity where fans have gotten to listen to players not on a news broadcast, not in a post-game interview, right? So that's been great. What does even just naming a new head coach and we go forward, how does that look and feel to you next year? Do you have – does it come back just for the chance that there is a chance? Are you – is there a little bit of fervor, a little bit of excitement, you know, hope? Where are we at? So – Zach, I'm going to put some words in your mouth here. Um, Please don't do that. I Hopefully that's all it is. Please don't I put was, anything in my mouth. I was scrolling boom, through boom. some messages between Zach and I before this show ever started. Oh, that's probably, yeah. Uh, can you, can was, you get rid of those? That's it a was lawsuit waiting to happen. And before Zach even messaged me at like 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning asking if, if I wanted to do this, like immediately after the the last game almost and we were talking it it was at the point where we're all debating on whether or not frost should be fired shouldn't be fired was this the iowa game yeah right around right after the iowa game i gotcha yep i remember now zach and i both in some form or another said we're gonna do our best to not get excited in the off season and what did we do we started the podcast we started a podcast. Got really excited in the off season. We we brought the clown show together. I mean, we are literally the three stooges of podcasting at this point. Um, learning it as we go, but we stirred the Kool Aid as much as anybody, if not more. Uh, we brought in players. We brought in Priscilla Joseph. We brought in old volleyball coaches. We brought in a guy who's on the staff now and we did everything we could to drum up excitement and get our hopes ready. And I'm here to tell you like, you know, after the Illinois game, I said, I wasn't going to sugarcoat shit anymore. I know damn well. And you both know damn well. It does not matter who's named head coach over the next 10 to 14 days. We're going to be excited all off season. That's what we do. And it's the only way for us to live. Otherwise we are miserable. Because if you're not excited, you're pissing and moaning about how bad things are like we're doing right now. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I have the ability to not get excited because all we have at this point is hope. We have literally no, I don't, I don't know how to say it. We have no grandeur of winning a national title next year other than in our dreams. 
or even a Big Ten West title or a Big Ten title as a whole. So what are the so what would you you're the coach, you come in and you meet with the team for spring spring winter conditioning, spring conditioning, whatever it is, spring football. What are your two or three goals that you have for the team then? Because you're right. You're not saying let's just be realistic here. There's no way you're saying let's play for a national championship. You can't even say let's play for a college five. You know, are you saying are you are you looking for a, a, a you know a New Year's Day bowl? I mean, is that still? No, I'm I think I'm to start one and zero. We're looking. Yeah, I mean, we had I I do this on you know Blue Jay overtime after every game with Jimmy. We talk about this like how how are those guys not looking forward to the first three games of the year four games of the year how are they not looking ahead to maui well this that team has some crazy expectations because they made it to the sweet 16 last year depleted and now they just reloaded on more and more depth but every like you can't look ahead game to game it's got to be every week is a new season and that's that's how you get yourself through it that's how you get yourself through any season. You just you can't look ahead. You can't look ahead to Iowa when you're getting ready to play Wisconsin. And I know that's easier said than done, but the new coach has to be really good at drilling that into his guys. Like, hey, we got to start one and zero, and every year's zero zero. And I don't know how you do that with a team that is used to losing for six out of the last seven years. Does the right coach? coming in with the right pedigree, the right background, and the right resume as far as college coaching, wins, bowl games, stuff like that, that obviously helps, right? But is that enough to kind of flip maybe a switch a little bit and do that? Because I think I think I, I love what you just said, but I think a bowl game, getting to a bowl game until it happens has to be like your number one goal because that means you're winning at least as many as you're losing at the bottom at the bottom line there, six and six. Um, you know, is that is that realistic to say next year we need to go to a bowl game? They so, need to go to a bowl game. The team so, needs whatever. Jesus. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up to one of the off season, you know, preseason podcasts we did with uh Jeffrey the Greek of Eyes on Big. He said every year we are one of the most intriguing teams for them to preview on their show because we always have the talent to compete in this conference or at least in this division. The next coach can't come in and say, Hey, our only goal is a bowl game. I mean, at the bottom line, we really should be competing for the big 10 West next year, no matter what, Um, whether you get there or not, but that has, that has to be the goal and you have to have realistic goals. And there's no reason why with what we've seen out of the big 10 West this year, that we shouldn't be competitive there next year. Every team, Iowa's the last one, every team in the Big Ten West, we played to within 10 points so far. There's no reason why we can't play at that level all of next season and win some of those games. But goal number two has to be a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, attrition off this roster, especially at certain spots. I'm not going to say a bowl game is necessary next year. It's it's not, uh, from in, in my opinion. Um, let me make this clear. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think that has to be the goal, though. Yeah. I, I get it. Um, 
my my expectations for next year are going to be very low. I'm just going to be flat ass honest with you, um, just because I I realize the magnitude of what needs to happen at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I do eventually want to talk about tonight is going to be the offensive line and and the strength and conditioning program and everything that included there. That's a two to three year plan before that you really start seeing anything. Um, I I'll, I want to bring up Doyle real quick from Iowa because he's been gone for a couple of years now. You started to see the effects on that offensive line and on that program now that he's gone for a certain amount of time. It you know he had the structure and everything in place and the guys, but once you leave for a certain amount of time, is that strength and conditioning coach and get a new one in there that's not as heralded and, and good at what he does. You you see the results. Um, I I would like to say if you could get to between four to six wins next year, which I guess would be a bowl game, I'd say if, if you get to four, at least four wins next year and that team is schematically what building toward what they should be, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I know that sounds like a loser's mentality at this point. It sucks to say, but what, what they're going to be undertaking is, is pretty massive whatever coach yeah, takes absolutely. it over. I, I think you have multiple tiers of goals. Though. Like your top end goal for this team, like absolute number one within the most remote realm of possibility is big 10 conference championship game, not winning it, getting there. Your second tier being in contention for the West third tier bowl game, your fourth tier. And this is where you salvage the season is what you're talking about like and there has to there has to be when you're setting goals they have to be measurable for the team now us as fans we can have eye test goals right like does it look better as the season goes on but for the team they have to have measurable finite goals and i think one of those goals based off of what you're talking about zach is they have to reach a level of yardage per game on the ground like they I have don't to know what the fuck you're doing <laughs> yeah well yeah obviously but they, there has to be like a measurable goal for them that the new coach has to set and i don't know what that is to salvage the season there has to be a salvageable goal and then goals that you're obviously working towards but that's Everything what i'm saying that- is, is is the next head coach their scheme by the end of next year we have to be able to recognize what it is because there wasn't one point under scott frost and you can no go identity. back to no Mike Riley, yeah. What, what what schematically they wanted to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that's that's been the problem. Is the last eight years, it's been a program with no identity. No, so so with no identity, it comes back to I've mentioned it before. You've got those. You don't have those those plays that get you in your groove. Um, when when nothing else goes well, okay. If you're Wisconsin, I know I can go back to a twenty three ISO. Boom. That's 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 our, their bread and butter or an inside zone or an outside zone. Like the, the program hasn't had that. So the next guy that comes in has to come in with a full, this is, this is what we're doing. This is our scheme. This is our personality. This is what we do. And the other team knows it and they just have to stop it. Right. Wisconsin does it. Iowa does it. Ohio state does it. Michigan does it at the highest level. When you go Drake, when you guys both talked about this. So if you, you know, big 10, West champs and then work your way down. The the hard part about that and the crazy part for me 
is that you used to be able to look on the schedule and we try to do it in the off season game by game. It's really, really difficult right now to pick teams that, you know, you'll play year in year out right on the West that you can beat every single time. That's the sad part about where we are right now is that you can't, you can't look on there. Oh, Northwestern. That's a win. Well, we know it's not Illinois. That should be, it's not, we haven't gotten to that place yet. And that for me, all of this comes together, but I, 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 you guys both said it. Looking at one game at a time, can we be better from game one? Now are we going to be better after game two? Did we do some things? We And then goes back to the scheme that Zach just talked about. Can we continue as fans see, oh, they did this in game one. They did this in game two. We're starting to see there was no continuity. I don't feel like I've seen in five years now the you know you go back to to riley and langsdorf and stuff like that just I, you know you can't remember it but i don't think frost was doing it i don't think whipple was doing it setting up play calls in the first quarter to come back to them in the third quarter and then you take them for 24 right well, i just think stuff Drake like brought that, that up a bunch of times too there's no continuity in the game plan this leads to this leads to this leads to this because all of a sudden, but we see the other teams do it all the time, all the time. So well, and adjustments and everything else from first half to second half, it's, I mean, I got to imagine we're not just sitting back there with our thumbs up our ass for 20 minutes. I really hope not, but. That's why I, I personally, and I know it's, we've kind of gone a long way around to this whole coaching thing, but it has to be somebody that's been there and done that in terms of coaching a game from first quarter, first play to last play. And you can see that what they did in the first quarter meant something in the fourth quarter. And they created the opportunity for the players to do something in the second quarter that would come back and eventually pop in the third or fourth quarter. That's, but that's coaching, right? That's, that's a game plan. That's coaching. That's adjustments. It's, it's communication. It's everybody being on the right page, players, coaches, staff, quality control coaches, water boys, you know, whatever. Just everybody being in the same place and you realize, okay, this is where we're going. I don't know. Can they get there in one year? No, but the right person can at least get them closer and moving that direction. So who is that person? Since it's not Urban Meyer who flew on his plane. Okay, no, hold, hold on, hold on. Let's not even throw out names. Let's just throw out qualities that you, that you need the next guy to have. I like that, Drake. Like, That's why you're the VP of operations. What What's your number one quality of the next coach? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's a very good question, actually. And we've, ne- we've never broken it down that far. We've only go- we've only talked about names. That's what I'm saying is it's we've talked about names. So you've got a resume in front of you. It's easy to look at a resume and say, I like that. But what do you actually want? My number one thing, someone that is in the details. Okay. And so bef- before we dive too far into this, I know it's getting us off track. And what what I'm about to follow this with, some people are going to, you know, disagree because of the name. But I read an article uh, a few months ago about Elon Musk. And for head coach? No. Just sorry. He did make a flamethrower, though. Just how Tesla and SpaceX recruits talent. It has less to do with their resume and more about what they say in an interview and, you know, 
tests that they give these guys as to how their mind works. This feels like a test. Elon, hire me right now. Okay, I guess this isn't a test. Fuck. You get what you get. What I'm saying, like, yeah, you're not going off the resume. You're going off of, hey, we've had a conversation for an hour. Yeah, well, there's tons of coaches out there who their resume looks great, and you know, theoretically, we we just hired one previously. Um, I'd argue that Bill Callahan had had a pretty good resume, even though he wasn't our first pick. Those things didn't work out because they don't fit whether it's the culture of the state, culture of what the program needs, or, you know. The conference they're playing in. I had this conversation with with somebody today about Urban Meyer. Everywhere Urban Meyer has been, he at least had some sort of an advantage over other people in his conference, whether it was at Bowling Green, they had a recruiting advantage because of the talent around them. Utah had a recruiting advantage over everybody in their conference at that time because they were they were knew they were going to go Pac-12. They weren't Pac-12 yet. I think they Florida, were still Mountain West, weren't they? Yeah. Florida had boatloads of talent on the roster plus what they were able to pull from around the state. Some of those guys on that roster were just killing it. And then at Ohio State, not only did he have great talent in his 500-mile radius, but they were also just a few years removed from a national title. So do I know Urban Meyer? Like, do I believe Urban Meyer could come to Nebraska and win? Yeah, probably. But has He's he done it had, everywhere else? So has, has he had a job like Nebraska? And the answer to that is no. I'd say you're right. I mean, the level of rebuild, he's never had to really do it. The In closest the lack job. Of advantage. Yeah, the lack I mean, of the advantage. Yeah, Nebraska has traditionally once they i mean it's like any program i guess but nebraska when they're riding the wave of innovation is traditionally that's when they rise to power if you will Mm -hmm. haven't figured out how to necessarily use nil yet to their advantage but i mean you could argue the same problem with the football team and the football program as a whole and how we've fallen behind you can throw that into the stadium conversation this program this university has taken advantage of the fan base for decades because with good enough of how loyal we are we're selling out this stadium that is not comfortable it's not conducive for a fun environment um get rid of all the old people i agree (laughs) (laughs) but that's my point and that's you know in the 90s with boyd epley we were cutting edge and strength and conditioning right correct amundo power all get here they say we're still using the same technology that we used in 1994 we never advanced yeah and i don't know if you guys know this or not but there has been some pretty big jumps in strength and conditioning since 1994 yes okay name name one name one jump rope steroids that you can't be tested (laughs) jump rope i love it I'm going to go back to, you said details. It kind of goes with, you were asking about the, what this coach needs. What are these qualities? I, I needed to be somebody that can go in and I'm equating it to what Trev has done, right? He went in and he looked at every single part of the athletic administration. I need, we need a coach that's going to come in and has the experience and the knowledge to look at every single part of the football program from strength and conditioning to training schedule, 
to all of these things, but not only just look at it, but be able to evaluate it and then be able to have the resources, whether it's people, systems, technology, anything to take that and make it make it better. So you have to be able to come in and evaluate honestly where you are. And that that's where it comes into those hard decisions. And we haven't seen that all the time with coaching staffs, right? Every coaching staff brings in who they're comfortable with and what is what has being comfortable gotten the Husker fans in the last, well, we know the seats aren't comfortable, so that's out of the realm of possibility, but that comfortability, it hasn't gotten us anywhere. So whether it's you have to let go of people, you have to have hard conversations with players, you've got to, or even just come in and say, you know what, it goes back to what you said, Zach, this is the scheme I want to run. You have a, you may you may not think you fit, but I can teach this to you. Stay or go, and then you start building towards that particular scheme. I guess I should have said that's probably I number one is details, but number two and a very close number two is going to be teachability. Someone that's that can teach because this staff has to be full of teachers. We the there are some pieces of talent. Mickey was flat ass honest when he said we need competitive depth. We don't have that right now. We don't have competitive depth on the level. I don't think we've got group of five competitive depth. I, I, See, I think there's, I think there's some, some of those coaches that probably aren't the names right now, maybe aren't as sexy as some of the others, but those are the guys that can coach. Right. And a lot of times that goes back to there's more coaching going on by the head coach and with the immediate you know, because your coaches coach the coordinators, coordinators coach the coaches, and then the coaches actually physically coach the players on a day-to-day basis, that they're the ones that can get in there and teach, right? They're the ones that are, but they're teaching, they're coaching their coaches, so then it goes on from there. Because if you surround yourself with the right people, that change can happen a little bit better because it's not just one person evoking the change, it's an entire system now that can spread out and touch more pieces. I don't know. Does that make so, sense? Because yeah. I, I, I ask questions and I put ideas out there and people just chastise me for it. So I was curious on if it made sense. Drake. A lot of times it's deserved. Yeah, because you like cream corn. Um, so, Zach, I, I want to go back to where you brought Can up. we do polls in StreamYard about cream corn, by the way? I'm just curious. I'll show you a poll. Okay. Um, you, you brought up teaching. Um, Greg, sorry to interrupt one more time, but you know those little, the small little candy canes that yes. you can put on your, not the full size candy canes. Yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, yeah that's that's your poll. Go ahead, Drake. <laughs> um, Zach, Zach was talking about the coaches having to teach, and I, I don't want like I, I've been very much. I don't want to go back to the Tom Osborne era. We don't always have to go back to the nineties. But if you look down his staff, almost every coach had degrees in education, some of them up to the doctorate level. Why is that important? Because in that field, you learn how to communicate with the kids. You learn how to direct them into something. Break things down to a teachable level. Yes, you you learn how to teach. It's not necessarily the subject of what you're teaching. It's how do you teach it? And I don't I don't think that's a requirement. I I think you know you need a a fair balance across the staff of people 
with a background in some form of teaching, what you know, education of some sort, but also that with the advancements in technology that we have and the added stress level to the players, we need more psychology background because we need to understand like the kids today are way different than they were in the 90s. My dad talks about it all the time. My brother's five years younger than me, four and a half. He had to coach each of us differently because we responded differently. And it took him a long time to figure that out because we're part of two different generations. And I think that's a huge difference that, that we're seeing now and the fan base isn't catching up on. We want the fire of Bo Pelini, but kids don't necessarily respond to that today. Now, elite players respond to that because they understand it. And there's a difference between being a really good player and being an elite player who's going to be elite in the NFL. That's why those guys end up at certain schools. And then, you know, we, that's a totally different conversation. Mickey has that psychology of a player down, but I don't know if he's going to be able to get enough of those kids into a program like Nebraska, where they stand today, where they're all going to be able to respond to that. And I think that's some of what you're seeing. Um, and I would argue where you're really seeing that problem of hard-nosed coaching, aggressive coaching is on the offensive line. We don't have NF, we don't have elite offensive line. I don't think they're responding to a Riola method. I, it's not that they're not talented. I don't think they respond to that. It's and a failed experiment. It is. It, it's obviously failed. But what I'm saying is these kids are different than they used to be. They're different from when you when we were kids, definitely different than when Fitz was growing up. Um we need not some cool dude. I'm not taking a shot here, Fitz. You, you're a different generation than us. That's obvious. But what I'm saying is we need to we need to reinvigorate <laughs> what we're trying to teach, how we're trying to teach it. And we need to get some more of that psychology and education background with the advancements advancements in those fields. Okay, so some so really to summarize, what you're looking for is somebody that can come in and actually teach them how to use the jump rope. Yes. To break it like down it. to nuts and bolts, yeah. I like it. And that that advancement since 1994, that jump rope, that's huge. That is huge. Yeah, it's it's I wonder how many I wonder how many other schools have that. <laughs> I think Alabama has one or two. A jump rope? Yeah, from what I heard. Can't they confirm nor deny. Back. They're using Vertimax for sure. Oh, 100%. And Zach, steroids. And Zach, I double Dutch or just single jump Let Zach, go into your offensive line talk that I know you wanted to have. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I've, I've been – we've watched this the offensive line all year long, and I, I, I know it's been a – well, it's been a failed experiment under Ryle is pretty much what, what we've all agreed on at this point. There are pieces there. Um, let's let's not forget uh, Teddy Prohaska is out for the year. Um, Kevin Williams Jr. I believe has been out for a good majority of the year as well. Elbow or ankle? Is it? Is it? I I ankle, was right. Not even sure. Um, okay. I know it's something though that I think he's been out for. What it seems like every game. Maybe he's played in one. I think. But then you've got uh, Nuelli, who you lost before season, who is your projected starter. I mean, you're down three big players right there. The one thing I hate is when we just say the offensive line sucks. I, I get that. 
And, and here's why I hate that because there's so many different things that you could pick apart and actually be, it's, it's been a bad product. But what I'm saying, the offensive line, there's so much that goes into making that work. Number one, you've got five different players. Okay. For an offensive line to look good. 80% of those players have to be doing the right thing. At least. Preferably 100%. I'll even go down to 60, and that's just the side that you're running to. Yeah, that could be be your play side as opposed to to your backside. We haven't gotten, um, and and I believe Pro Football Talk, they they did a grade uh, about the game yesterday. There wasn't one player that played for Nebraska that cracked 60%, which is an average grade for an offensive lineman. I believe Turner Corcoran was a 35 Bryce Benhart was a 55. Um, I, I can't remember. There were a couple other ones that were not great as well. Nobody was above 55 is what I'm getting at. 60 is average. 70 is where you're getting good offensive line play. So we're pretty far from it. But the scheme, the, the, these players are talented, okay? But the scheme plus the strength and conditioning department has not done these players any favors. Number one, we've completely worked out the athleticism out of the out of the offensive alignment. You see it because the way that they move, they can't move. There's no lateral quickness, which is an offensive lineman is one of your key attributes you need to have. You need to be able to move laterally. You need to be able to move forward and backward. They have none of that. The footwork is shot. You see it constantly, which is why you've got these guys waist bending as opposed to knee bending. I know I've said that term many and many a time. Can I ask you a quick question related to that? Do you think, in your opinion, because I was watching yesterday and looking at the Wisconsin linemen, you know, head to toe, they looked more athletic, right? They looked like a kind of more like consistent from top to bottom, if you will. And then I started looking at Nebraska. Not so top heavy. A little. That's well. I was wondering if our guys are leaving a little bit more bottom heavy. It was kind of weird, but I don't know. But that's where you maybe lose some of that dexterity. You're talking about the foot quickness, stuff like that. Is and that tightness. is that part of it? Are they are they too heavy? Are they do they weigh too like, or is it built just wrong? So there there's two players, and I'm not calling I'm not calling this guy out. I want to make that clear. Ty Robinson. Um, who obviously is, I believe he's 330 pounds right now. They've bulked him to 330. If you could get him back down to about 300, 310, that kid's going to be special. He's too big now. What's that? Even 280. Yeah, if you could slim him back down. And then you slide him out, you slide him back out a little bit? I I keep him at a three technique. Let him wreck havoc in, in, in an even front. Let him play D tackle right off the uh, off the nose or off the center. Let him just go up hill. Uh, be, being quicker then, right? Just being yeah, because you don't want you don't want him head up on that center. You could go shade off if you go all the way outside. The, it would actually be outside guard. Would be three technique, but you've got some options on where you could play him at that point where he's not so big. But we've got these guys squatting nine hundred pounds, and those same guys squatting nine hundred pounds, and we're told that these are the strongest guys in the program. Also, when it's on the goal line, that same player and those same players are getting pushed three yards into the end zone. So we got bodybuilders out there. That's great. They look big. They look strong. Awesome. But they can't anchor. The technique is not there. That's a problem. 
And we're seeing that not only on the, on the defensive side of the ball, because when you get tired, your technique's the first thing to go. But we're seeing the offensive side of the ball as well, because the scheme doesn't match what's going on. We've coached the athleticism out of these guys in the weight room. There's no movement. We can't move these guys. We can't pull. We can't do a fucking thing with that offensive line right now. It's, it's, it, it's actually mind-boggling at this point how bad it is because it's progressively gotten worse. And the town has progressively gone up for the guys technically on the roster if you go by the star rankings and all that. Can't tell when the talent's not there. But we don't know what we want to do, so how can you coach these guys to do anything? You can't. Well, some of these guys have been coached obviously multiple ways. You know, things change all the time. You don't know if you're what's up from what's down in terms of the play calling for the last four or five years. You know, all of a sudden we're running, you know, we're going to try to run this, but we we default to, you talked about what's our bread and butter for the last four years. It seemed to be that swing pass, which never worked, right? Turning so the ball you, over and losing close you, games. Yeah. It was third and long QB draw. That was our bread and butter. But well, that's, what it, that's what it was yesterday, though. The only the longest run the Huskers had yesterday was Casey Thompson, fourteen yards on a scramble. Yep, it I, tells you everything. So, so one thing I also wanted to say about the offensive line, and I should have brought this up when I was talking about him, is is the the scheme that they can go to, um, and you could look right across the river to Iowa for this that zone blocking scheme they run. Now, this is where athleticism comes into play. Because if you don't have a lineman that can pull on that roster, you're looking at five new starters. Because at this point, I don't know if there's an alignment on that roster that can pull. Zach, this kind of goes into something that I've uh, I've hit on a lot leading up to this. Do you think part of the problem in how they're building these guys up in the weight room is that they wanted them to be able to play all five positions at any given moment? Because your guard, your center, and your tackle, each of those guys have different movements, and they should all be built a little bit differently, but you have them all built the exact same so they can play all five spots. Yeah, uh, starting at your center, I mean, you usually don't want your center to be over six foot three. I mean, six six foot four at the, at the absolute highest because that's the guy right in front of your quarterback. You've got to be able to throw over them. Your guards, you want them a little bit on the shorter side as well, maybe six five at the highest. Your tackles so and be a, be athletic. Exactly. The, you know, the lower to the ground you are, the, the easier it's going to be to pull. And then your tackles. I honestly don't like guys over six foot six, just because you get too big at a certain point. And that's what Nebraska's recruited is we've recruited physical freaks to the, to the team and to the, that have played, but he, he, the, the, the coaching just is mind boggling. I well, can't imagine there being be some of the shit I've seen. Tell me if this if this argument or thought has holds any weight. I I started saying um, around Purdue. It was it was around the Purdue game after wa- rewatching Rutgers. I thought part of our problem at the tackle position was based off quarterback itself. I think part of the problem, and this isn't to take a shot at Casey Thompson, but Casey Thompson really isn't six feet tall. He's oh God, no, he's he five, looks like he's ten. five ten. Um, and our line is so big that he can't do a three or five step drop. He has to do a seven seven step drop. Yeah, because it's like throwing between redwoods out there. 
And that, and th- th- I didn't really notice this until Rutgers, but that's the the edges had straight line to him because he had to get so deep in the pocket. Yeah, is because the the foot quickness for the the tackles is not there. So yeah, all you gotta do is line up in a nine and go. It did, even even if they were quick, I mean, he has it, to it's tough. Front row over six eight six nine guys. He has to get so deep that the the geometry. And and I don't want to you know talk talk geometry, but ge- geometry says quickest path to him is a straight line, straight line, and he's creating that straight line in a triangle by dropping too deep. But he has to to see over the line. Yeah, it's it, uh, the the roster construction is going to be real interesting to see, and and I think by the time we get that the head coach um announced i think it'll be next week uh, saturday sunday i think i think that's when we were talking to munson and he had mentioned that he said he thought sunday potentially yeah just because of the the dates coming up with uh transfer portal opening and different things like that i think we're gonna know a lot of, of the scheme that they plan on running pretty quick i mean you, you we may not have the pieces in place but i think I think we'll have an idea of what they want to run. So, so I asked uh, a question on Twitter last night after watching a little bit of Ole Miss, Arkansas. And everything we're hearing, neither of these guys are in, but Ole Miss wow. looked pretty bad last night. Oklahoma State looked bad early, and they looked terrible a week or two ago. Any chance either of those head coaches have just kind of pulled the plug in in their preparation and effort because they might be moving on to another program? Not to say in Nebraska, Auburn's obviously open too. We've seen that out of one of them before. I'd say Kiffin more than Gundy. That's where I was going because we, whether it's pros, I just feel like he's he, topped out there. I I've said it. I I've said it about Matt Campbell specifically a lot. I said that's Mark Stoops right there too, topping out in where you're at. Yeah, he got a fat fucking pay raise though. Yes, he did. Thank <laughs> you. So I I've said a, this a edible said this a lot. edible arrangement. Yeah, I've said this a lot. There is a shelf life at some of these schools. Matt Campbell is eventually Matt Campbell is. I think he's already topped out at what he can do at Iowa State, but I think eventually. Eventually, the world is welcome. It seems you, like you overstay your welcome because once you've topped out, there also becomes a shelf life. Like you can only get better in a second and third tier, third tier, third tier program for so long before you stop getting better players. Like you can only hit that eight to nine win mark for so many seasons without breaking through to ten and eleven before all it's the, the Bopolini argument. Yeah, eventually all all faith in you being able to go a little bit farther falls out. The bottom drops out, and then you just whoo, straight down. And Lane Kiffin, if he stays at Ole Miss, will hit that in four to five years at on the on the long end. Um, you know. Okay, so this brings up thinking Riley at USC at a certain point. Uh, although I think USC as a program has the ability to stay relevant and stay in that 10 win area for a long time, like Ryan day at Ohio state, but guys at Wisconsin, uh, you know, I- Iowa, because they're just, they're comfortable with where they're at, but like 
there's a lot of these programs where you're either going to stay steady or you're going to regress if you don't move on. It's I think a lot of these coaches are starting to realize that, and that's why they're getting out after five, six years. Well, that's what you right there is kind of what I was going to talk about is the the ones that get out when they know they should. Right? You got to cash in. You got to cash in what you what you've gotten and go. And I, I can't remember if it was one of you guys, and if it was that it was a great point, or if I heard it somewhere else. But is Matt Campbell, for example, one of those guys that stayed a year too late? Right? Whether it was going to the NFL or going to another program, so that's where I'm. I'm you start to wonder. That's the, that's the crazy part about this, though. You could look at a couple different coaching candidates, and okay, let's just start with 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 Leipold, right? That thing, that thing was on a rocket ship to the moon at the start of the season, and now it's kind of come back down to earth. To finish that analogy, and you know, can he do that again next year? Not. And that's the hard part. He's got a he's got a decision to make, depend. And it may not be Nebraska; it could be somewhere else, right? Does he take what he's built for this year and and for the, you know, for his career and use what he was able to do and get them bowl eligible and move on? Because that's the situation where I don't think that's sustainable, at that place. Now, yeah. Again, I know I know it's hypocritical because they're going to a bowl game. Nebraska's not, but over the long run. If you take everything into consideration, could he do that more sustainably? I like the word you use there with the Nebraska. Is that a Matt Campbell? Is that a rule? Is that a, you know, those guys that haven't gotten to the mountaintop like your um, Urban Myers, right? Um, you know, those, that's, that's the, that's why I kind of keep coming back to, it's got to be somewhat of a big name because they're going to, they're going to use this as the way, and I think both of you have talked about it to elevate themselves and show what they actually are and how good of a coach they are. Yeah. So I, I, my overall point is every coach has a ceiling, right? Mm -hmm. And now every, every coach can also catch lightning in a bottle and go beyond that. But every program has a ceiling for each specific coach. So let's say Matt Campbell's the next coach in Nebraska. I think his ceiling at Nebraska compared to Iowa state gets to 10 games. I think that that's his sustainable ceiling. But if he doesn't get to 11 by year six or seven, then we start to regress. He moves on, but he'll, you know, potentially get to a school, another school that his ceiling's 12. The next guy that we bring in, his ceiling at Nebraska would have to be 11 or 12, if not, you know, long-term. Every program has their own ceiling and it's relevant to the coach. Not every coach can come in here and win a title, but they can get us to a bowl game. And then not every coach that wins a title can come here and still win a title. There's there's levels to both the coach and the program, and then there's floors. And we got it right now. I think we're looking for the coach with the highest floor and not necessarily the highest ceiling. Okay, so hypothetically, based on that conversation, which I completely and I love it. So. What does someone like, so Nick Saban comes to Nebraska, right? What does he do? What's the ceiling for Nick Saban in Nebraska consistently? So Nick Saban's ceiling is what his his ceiling is at Bama because he's done it for so long. He still has that long-term cachet. But is he making, 
does he make that? And did he bring the players in or have the players created what he's gotten? Like I can go back and I know, I don't know the year, but Julio Jones was his first five-star recruit, I believe. Right. So that goes back. Or was it, who was it uh, for Saban? But anyway, when Julio Jones became that Alabama's first five-star recruit after they had dropped for a little while, a couple, two or three seasons where they were seven, eight, nine, somewhere around in there. And then, all of a sudden the trajectory of the program changed. So is it the, is it players that brought in other players and then that creates some wins and the coach puts them in, or is it just that name? So a Saban, an Urban Meyer, um, I, it's weird to say it, but I, I really do think you could probably throw just because of the name and, and stuff like that, that you could throw Kiffin in that. Is that, is that enough just with the name? I, th- I think Kiffin's like a guy that could jumpstart the program but I don't think his success is sustainable here. But I've also been very vocal about this, and I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. I think Zach's on the same wavelength as me. I don't know about you, Fitz, but I think our next coach is a you know five- to seven-year guy, Max, hits that ceiling, gets out and you know capitalizes on that success, and the next guy we bring in is the one who makes us, hopefully, a consistent Big Ten championship game caliber program. Where do you stand on? And I'll ask both of you this. The next coach, you can you know right off the bat, the moment he he accepts and he's at a press conference that that's that five or six year guy, right? Knowing that Joseph is now building, he's whoever. Okay, so Joseph becomes Ryan Day for Urban Meyer, right? You just have this idea. Is that is that a good situation for you? that it's five or six years with Coach A, knowing that Mickey Joseph's going to come in and take the reins after more. But that's still not head coaching experience, right? You're still not – but you're being uh, taught. You're being – because so Scott Frost we'll isn't coaching up, I mean, anybody to become a head the coach. Equivalent, right? The equivalent to Mickey for when Urban was at Ohio State was Luke Fickle. Not Ryan Day. Yeah. Luke okay. Fickle was the interim. Was oh, yeah. then kept on staff. Um. Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, their situations are similar. Neither were okay. in rooms. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I at this point, and Zach, you can tell me what you think. I don't. I don't see Mickey on the staff next year. As much as I want him to be, I don't think he stays. Yeah, I think he'll be here. I think the leaks about Arizona being interested in him shows at least mutual interest. Interest because I think his agent leaked it to try and get him the job here. And I just don't think he's getting the job here. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to take that shot on a guy that's got one year of head coaching experience at an NAIA school, Hey, be my guest. I mean, Nebraska didn't. So if I I don't think Mickey goes anywhere, Um, I think Arizona state, Arizona state is a dumpster fire with what the, what they're looking for looking at with the NCAA right now. So yeah, I wouldn't make the move if I were him, but let's put a bow on this bitch. Drake, give me, give me one guy that you think could be if the name that's mentioned for head coach, who you got, man, I'm going to put you on the spot. Could be, I don't give a fuck who it is. Just one name that you want it to be. Chris Kleiman at K state. Climbing fits what you got. One guy. Next head coach. Yep. Rule. Rule. I'm gonna ride with my guy Kiffin still. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I'm gonna ride with it. 
I so, don't. I'll, I'll go on record thinking, not saying I don't think any of those three are the guy. I don't think so either. But it's fun to talk. We got six more days of it. I think. Can I? Can I ask you this? Speaking of six days, any thoughts on Iowa come Friday? Can we play spoiler at all? No. It's going to be another ugly game. I think it'll look very similar to Wisconsin. Like they're going to win a game, of fourteen to thirteen. They're going to win on a field goal. I think Nebraska will have a good, a good lead. Um, piss it away. I think it's almost going to go literally the way Wisconsin did for the third year in a row. By the way, yep. I think it's going to be. I think this one might hurt a lot more than a lot of other losses have, just on how it's going to happen. And that's what sucks. And I hate that. I hate that we're at this point again. I'm to it. Like get the season, just get the season over with. So at least we know the next person, right? That's where we're at right now. And it's tough. And you, you have to know, Trev knows that, right? Everybody knows that, but there isn't, there's gotta be hopefully some calculated decisions going on. There's gotta be, you know, whatever the reason is, I'm going to trust. Do you guys trust Trev at this point? Have to, haven't been burned by him yet. I know Drake's not all in on that. I trust someone implicitly until they burn me. You burn me, I never trust you again. So, so who, just, who do they uh, name as head I've coach? Been a lot of, I've been having a lot of conversations with uh, friends who who were athletes at UNO after Trev cut UNO in uh, football and wrestling, and changes that he made. Um, understanding of things now, I, Trev's obviously grown and changed. I the way this search has gone. I said it yesterday on there. I think the fact that there are no leaks is bad. I think that's bad um, for my own reasons. What about this, though? This just a just a, 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 a theory. So we had Terry Pettit on, right? As a, a guest, you mentioned it before. So he tweets out today that what if the coach that is coming next is still coaching, is coaching currently, and they're – going to a bowl game or they're playing for a, you know, something still and out of respect and out of agreement, whatever, that's why we haven't had any information. Does that do anything for you? Is that no, because there's always somebody who's going to leak at, at a lower level. Somebody's involved in this. That's going to leak. That's how we knew that old boy from Arkansas was supposed to be coming back on that jet. Yeah. In 2003. And he did. What if it, what if it, what if it really is Trev, Trev and, the search firm CSA out of North Carolina, which is where Urban Meyer's jet left from. But what if it's just him and that that company? Does it? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, I don't no, know. No, I mean, I I hope I'm proven wrong. I really do. I'm I not. I'm just saying every successful coaching search that's ever happened that we've seen, not just at Nebraska, everywhere else, there are tea leaves of who it is. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. If if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong. But I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping and, at this point I'm preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. And that's the, that's the bad part about this. I'm legitimately more excited. My, I'll get there Friday morning. It'll be it'll be great. You know, USA plays England, and then we get to Iowa, Nebraska. But I, the excitement will be there. But I'm very much in, excited. I'm I'm anticipating more probably the higher right? The name. Who did, wins that press conference? How does that go? Because that's all the moment that game is not over, winning the press conference. That's not what it's about. I don't care about winning the press conference. <laughs> we're, we're unfortunately, we're used to losing. So 
you know, it could be, could you imagine though, the press conferences, all these leaks start happening in game. Remember last, remember when Frost got hired, it was in game where that information started coming out. Right. So we get all this great information. And if it follows true with what Nebraska has done lately, um, all of a sudden, Pret, Trev gets, you know, uh, an administrator comes up, staffer whispers in his ear, and we thought it was going to be one guy. And next thing you know, we're back to Mike Riley. That that would not surprise me. And that's sad. That's where I think we're at. All right, boys. Have a good night. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you guys later. Members of the congregation. Let's raise our Kool-Aid filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.